If you would, for our sermon, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. To read verses 1 through 10. Isaiah 6, 1 through 10. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim took, stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. He said, Go and tell this people, Keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes dim, otherwise They might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and return and be healed. The word of the Lord. Let let me pray for a moment. Father, we thank you for uh, the opportunity to hear your word. And we do pray, Lord, that what we've just read would not be true among us. We would not have ears that are dull and eyes that are dim, but we would have ears that are open and eyes that see and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, what happens, we we said um, a few weeks ago, what happens when the Lord shows up for worship? We all know how it goes. We uh, We all know how worship goes. Every one of us knows we could pull out the order of service. And we know exactly what's going to happen. We know after the announcements, we're going to go through this liturgy. We know what's going to happen. We know that we're going to pray prayers together, which I love. Um, every now and then I'll, I'll sit here and I think about the things that we're reading and the things that we're saying. And I remind myself that we are connected to history. I mean, this liturgy fits with so much of what so many of our forefathers have done. They, they went through these exact same words. And we know what's going to happen. We know everything that's coming. We know when the word's going to be read. We know when the word's going to be preached. And many times we've come and we've gone and we've come and we've gone. But then one day the Lord shows up. The Holy Spirit shows up. And we just read a story about how This man, Isaiah, how God showed up for the first time for him. This is the first time this man's ever worshipped. Do you understand that? This is the first time he's really worshipped. He's been to the temple before. 
But now he's worshiping. And so here we are, we're sitting in church, we're not really expecting too much, anything, but business as usual, and the Holy Spirit shows up, and the Word of God lights us, lights us up, the Spirit of God is, is working with the Word, and the Word is living and sharper than any two-edged sword, and all of a sudden, I feel a pain inside myself. All of a sudden, I'm realizing God's dealing with me. I'm sitting in the seat right in front of you. You're here with me. Nobody knows, but God's working on the inside of me. And I feel a pain. <laughs> I feel God's work. I'm not running, though. I'm not getting up and leaving and I'm squealing out the door. God's dealing with me. And so I'm sitting there. And here you see this man. Where did he go? He's just sitting there. He's dealing with God's holiness and he begins to cry out and say, I'm a, I'm a sinful man. I have a man of have unclean lips and he understands he's coming apart. And God, I think so many times, how do we ever really change unless there's some pain involved? Have you ever noticed that? Man, if everything's cool, okay, Pastor Mark, you need to do this, or somebody, you need to go do that, and you think about changing that. Well, when it really hurts, man, I'll take time to make the corrections. Wow. And so this guy's crying out. He's confessing his sin. He's falling down on the ground. He's going to pieces. He's crying out and saying he's a sinful person. And all of a sudden, he realizes God's not going to destroy him. God's putting him back together. God's sending an angel to, to cleanse his lips. And you begin to realize God has convicted me of sin and, and God is, is putting me back together. He's forgiving me of my sins. Jesus' blood is cleansing away my sins. And, and at the end of the day, we're walking out of here and we go, oh, I'm so, I'm so thankful for the pain. I'm so thankful for the pain because I'm turning away. I'm turning from my sins. I'm cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he says, hey, Jesus says to you, now, I want you to go serve me. And you say, yes, sir, I'll do whatever you say, Lord. I hear I am, send me. And that's exactly what we see here. What do you call this? I don't see this man. Now, I see the man being happy at the end. <laughs> but I don't see him jumping up and down at the beginning. I do not see dancing and jumping up and down here. I see a man falling on his face. And one commentator said, this is the first time he ever has worshipped. This is worship. Don't mistake, it's, worship's not jumping around and having this grand old time. Uh, I love to worship, but it starts with humility. It starts with confessing our sins. It starts by saying, Lord, here I am, I send me, I'll do whatever you say. That's how it all ends. And as we begin to see this man, he's, he walks out of the service, if you will, commissioned to go and serve God. He walks out of the place to go and reflect. He walks out of the place to go and resemble God himself. That's one of the things that you ought to notice anytime you study one of the prophets. When the prophets are in the presence of God, they walk away and they're transformed men. And they are to be signs. They are to be monuments to God's people about men who are in the presence of God, who reflect and resemble God himself to the people. You and I cannot live long in the presence of anybody without reflecting them, without resembling them, without maybe taking on a few of their sentences even. I don't just look like John Wheat. <laughs> I don't just resemble John Wheat. I'm very much like John Wheat. Now, John Wheat died in 2007, but if people 
There, there have been times where people have thought my dad had come back to life because they saw me from the backside. And they said, you, you look like, I, that's right, I look like John Wheat. I talk like John Wheat. I write like John Wheat. I study like John Wheat. You go, come over to my house and he used to sit by a lamp and he used to have his, he didn't have his Bible out. He had his textbooks out for math and he was doing math problems every night. Well, I've got my Bible out and i got a piece of paper. I look just like him. He's got black hair though and he's got curly hair like Evan. But, but I look just like him. If you are going to hang out in refined society, you will acquire fine manners. If you watch Duck Dynasty, watch out. You'll start sounding like Duck Dynasty people. And you'll start probably wearing camo. And you'll probably start wearing waders. But you and I, we reflect, we resemble the people that were around, right? And this prophet, he has been in the presence of God's glory, and he is going to begin to resemble the glory of God, live a, a holy life. He is the holy Isaiah, the prophet, the holy prophet Isaiah. And he is, this experience is to be a sermon to all Israel, Basically, it's like this, Israel, what has happened to your prophet needs to happen to you. The glory of God that's visited the prophet, the holiness of God that's visited the prophet and knocked him on his knees and caused him to confess his sin and turn from his sin in order to serve God. That is what needs to happen to all of Israel. The northern kingdom needs to repent. And here is a picture of it in a man, one for all, one man to preach all this message to all the people. You need to be reconciled to God like your prophet. And our only hope is to be the same way. You and I, we need to worship one true and living God through his son, Jesus Christ. This is our only hope as a church. So what happens though? What happens though if you go to worship and you don't worship? What happens if you come to church and you leave? And you're not confessing your sins and you're not humbled and you're not broken and being put back together. What happens when you leave and you don't go out to serve? What happens when you're not resembling uh, Jesus Christ and worshiping God through him? What happens? You might say, well, Pastor Wheat, I, didn't, I just didn't worship. Well, okay. You didn't worship God through the Son. But you leave worshiping somebody. Y'all know that? There's no neutral. We either worship God through Jesus Christ or we worship, we're worshiping something else. No neutral. Whatever we worship, we begin to look like it. Whatever we worship, we begin to act like it. It happens. It's the way it is. Take, you're going to take somebody's manners on. You're going to take on the good manners or the bad manners. But you and I, we leave this place. We either worship God Walk out of here worshiping God through Jesus Christ or we walk out of here worshiping somebody else. It's one or the other. Who am I reflecting? To whom am I bowing? Now these words here, I picked out the words here in verses 9 through 10 uh, in, in Isaiah chapter 6. These are the most difficult words in the Bible, some people think. <laughs> Let me tell you how it works when you read commentaries on these two verses. When you get to these words in some commentaries, some commentators do not even give explanation for them. When you go and you read these, when you see sermons preached on Isaiah 6, many sermons go to verse 8 and stop on verse 9 and they don't even go there. 
They don't even try to explain them. But these verses are found in the New Testament quoted at least five or if not six times. And they're repackaged and reformulated several different times throughout the Gospels. So it's very important for us to see what they mean. So I'm going to spend time working on these two verses. What is God commissioning his prophet to do? He's ready to serve. Here I am, send me. And then he gives him his commission there in verse 9. God said, go and tell this people. What does he tell them to say? What does he tell him to say? Look at what he says. Keep on listening. This is what I want you to say. Keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render, Isaiah, render the parts of this people insensitive. Their ears dull, their eyes dim or smeared over. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and return and be healed. What in the world is that about? Well, in one word, that's a judgment. That is judgment. He's commanding him to preach. He's commanding him to preach so much, so over and over, and they're not going to understand any of it. It's not going to make a dent. What does this mean? Why such a terrible judgment? Why is he to preach so continuously and watch the people grow harder and harder and more and more insensitive? Why the judgment? Is the judgment coming because there's no preaching? Well, the answer is no. I mean, there's no famine. (laughs) He's going to preach. He's going to preach over and over and over. The goal of the preacher is to preach the word of God. So there's light. There's no famine of the word. There's plenty of the word being preached. Another question. Is this a terrible judgment coming upon God's people Israel because they can't understand their preacher? I had a lady that I used to train every Monday. She, uh, she, she, we, we used to have this great time. She was as tall as me, maybe a little taller than me. And um, she would say, she'd say, Mark, she'd say, <laughs> um, my preacher, he preaches so high. He preaches so sophisticated. He preaches these, these truths. And he says, she said, that it, I just sit there and I listen. And I don't understand anything you said at the end of the day. And I used to say, that's a problem. <laughs> that's a problem. Is Isaiah too hard to understand? Is Isaiah clear? I used to, I used to, I used the term like this. I, I've said this to some of y'all before. Was that about as clear as mud? Is he clear as mud? Well, let me, let, me, let me show you that he's not. He's a little bit clearer than mud. In fact, they're ready to cart this guy off and teach this, the kindergarten classes. Isaiah 28, verses 9 through 10. Listen to this. To whom would God teach knowledge and to whom would he interpret the message? That those just weaned from milk, those just taken from the breast. For he says, order on order, Order on order, line on line, line on line, a little here, a little there. The prophet's hearers are saying this. Who's he trying to teach? (laughs) 
hey, this guy's teaching this guy's teaching us like we're babies. This guy's saying things so clear, he's so easy to understand that even our children can understand it. Just as we said weeks ago that when we do catechism time, what are we doing? We're taking bite-sized chunks and we're teaching our children these bite-sized chunks and then we say, would you please repeat that back to me? That's what they're saying. This guy is easy to understand. So why then is God pronouncing such a terrible judgment on the nation of Israel? It's not because they don't have any preaching. It's not because the preaching is too hard to understand. He keeps there. He is to preach. Keep on listening, Israel, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Here's the answer. For hundreds of years, Israel has been worshiping idols. Now, I don't know. I'll give you a little history real quick. I don't want to get stuck, hung here, but this is really interesting. So you got Saul, King Saul. You got David. You got Solomon. After Solomon dies, there's Rehoboam. Rehoboam makes a bad decision, and the kingdom splits into south and north, and the northern kingdom follows after Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. If you read your Old Testament, you're going to see that name over and over. He leads the people to serve idols. The northern kingdom are serving idols for hundreds of years. Bowing down and worshiping idols. And now Isaiah is preaching to people who've been worshiping idols. And it says in verse 17 of chapter 42, They will be turned back and utterly put to shame who trust in idols. Who say to molten idols, You are our gods. Hear you deaf and look you blind that you may see. Who is blind but my servant Israel? Oh, so deaf as my messenger whom I send. Who is so blind as he is at peace with me, or so blind as a servant of the Lord? You have seen many things, but you do not observe them. Your ears are open, but no one hears a thing. Do you hear what he's saying? You've got ears, and you've got eyes, but you don't have spiritual ears, and you don't have spiritual eyes. You know, tonight we're going to serve the Lord's Supper, and I like... uh, I know that Robert Bruce said this. I love what Robert Bruce said in the 1500s. He's, he's got about 15 sermons on the Lord's Supper. And he says, when you come to serve the Lord's Supper, you're going to have two mouths involved. You got a physical mouth that takes bread and wine. And you got a spiritual mouth that takes bread, but it represents Christ. Spiritual mouth eats Christ's body. Spiritual mouth takes in Christ's blood. By faith. It's a spiritual thing. These guys have ears, but they don't really hear anything spiritual. These guys have eyes, but they don't see anything spiritually. And the reason is that they're dead. Isaiah 44 says this about Israel. It says, Israel is like a man who goes and... Y'all know the story that Israel is like a man who goes and cuts down a tree. Cuts the tree down. Cuts the wood up. Uses some to cook his food. Uses another chunk of the wood to heat the house up. And then the rest of the wood, he gets out his carving instruments and he carves out a beautiful image. And then he does what to it? He falls down and worships it and calls it God. (laughs) He prays, deliver me for you, O fallen piece of wood, are my God. 
Listen to what God says. They do not know, nor do they understand, for He has smeared over their eyes so that they cannot see, and their hearts so that they cannot comprehend. No one recalls, nor is there knowledge of understanding to say. Listen, no one's thinking this. This is what they should be thinking. I have just burned half of it in the fire. And I have just baked bread over its coals. I roast meat and eat it. Then I make the rest of it into an abomination and fall down before a block of wood. (laughs) Nobody's thinking you should think this. Where is your brain? You know, I don't use the word S-T-U-P-I-D very much. Because mom sometimes years ago used to say, don't use that word. This is S-T-U-P-I-D. Why? Why so irrational? Psalm 115, verses 3 through 8. Have you ever wondered, what does this mean? Listen to this. But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throats. Why? Why is this? Why do they have all these beautiful eyes? Beautiful hands, beautiful feet carved, beautiful. Everything's beautiful. But those who make them will become like them. You go bow down to a piece of wood, you're going to turn into... You're not going to literally turn into a piece of wood, but you're going to you're going to be hard. You go make yourself a beautiful golden idol, and you bow down before it. You're not going to turn into gold, but you're going to be like gold. You're going to be hard. You're going to be without feeling. Isaiah two eight says this: Their land is full of idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their fingers have made. The people are worshiping hard things. Dead things, and the people begin to reflect those dead things. No matter how lifelike, beautiful eyes. Can't you imagine how? Can you, you've seen some of these beautiful artwork? My son took a art class, some AP art, whatever you take when you're in high school, and he used to show me these pictures. Beautiful, beautiful art. Not the not the stuff where people get buckets of paint and pour out in front of a a jet engine and blow it up against a a concrete. Not that kind of art. Beautiful art. But no matter how beautiful the eyes, no matter how beautiful the foreheads, there's no brain behind that forehead. There's death back there. And these people, Israel, God's people, they've been bowing down to these idols for so long. And God is saying, if you will not worship me, you will be just exactly like what you worship. You'll be hard. You're judged. I keep sending the word to you and you don't hear it because you're hard. And it's judgment. When you and I come to worship God, let's make some applications. When you and I come to worship God, am I worshiping God or am I worshiping something else? One way or the other, we leave reflecting, we leave resembling something. What am I reflecting? Congregation, teach yourselves and parents, teach your children. You come to worship and what are we going to do with Jesus? How do we handle this Jesus? We handle him every time we walk into the door. 
How do I stand in front of him? How do I deal with his promises? How do I deal with his claims? I'm either holding on to him or I am not. I'm either reflecting and worshiping God the Father through him or I am not. If you have a zeal to worship God and you have a desire to see his royal throne established in your soul, you have to act like Isaiah. James 1.18 says, in humility. What do we see in Isaiah? Humility. <laughs> in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. James 1.21, in the exercise of God's will, he brings us forth by the word of truth. Calvin writes, wherever you hear the word of God preached, where the minister explains scripture with the scriptures, and he declares only that taught by the apostles and their prophets, let us hear Christ. Our response to the gospel is our response to Christ himself. How am I responding to Christ? How do I respond? The opposite's true now. If I'm not responding to him, I'm responding to something. I'm becoming enlivened to something. You know, do you have something in your lives that you're more committed to and holding in front of your face that's taking a hold of you? I'm, I'm going to give you a hint of what I'm getting at here. Is there something you're holding in front of your face too much. Are you with me? Is there something I'm looking at too much? It's becoming something that, that's making me insensitive to the things of God. We all know what I'm talking about. I haven't said it yet, right? Y'all all know what I'm talking about. You know, I... Preparing this sermon, I just couldn't help myself. I had to go and look this up. Y'all all seen the video of the woman who's texting on the escalator? So there's a woman coming down an escalator. You have my permission. Go and look this up. Go watch this. Go have a fun time. There's a woman coming down an escalator. She's texting on her phone. She gets off the escalator. She walks right into a water, a cement pond. And she goes head first and goes under. And then she gets up and gets out. And, they, and the people who are watching this, they go, nobody saw, saw this but the camera. She got up and acted like it never happened. She went under the water. She's completely insensitive to everything around her. I mean, folks, listen, we can get carried away with things, can't we? Now, I'm not saying, I'm not here, I'm not saying, okay, you can't use your phone, because obviously we're going to use these phones. And obviously we're going to use these iPads, we're going to use these screens, we can't get away from it. And wow, they are so beneficial. But we sure can become insensitive to the things we ought to be sensitive to. T. David Gordon is an OPC minister and scholar, and he's recently retired, but he's done a lot of media ecology work and this is what he said this is worth remembering every tool will do something for you every tool will do something to you let me say it again every tool will do something for you every tool will do something to you what will the internet do for me what will my phone do oh, it does you know what folks when when i first started doing personal training in 2000 i think i had 200 and something all, all the phone numbers memorized 
Now I just write, hit Randy. I don't know Randy's number. I used to know all their numbers. What will it do for me? Man, listen, I can go on the phone. I can go on the internet. I can study. I can find research. I can do all kinds of cool stuff. But what's it doing to me? A hammer will drive a nail. A hammer will give me a callus. That's really, you remember that. Is this thing we call internet? Is this thing we call phone? Is this thing we call iPad? Is it giving me a callus in regard to the spiritual things of God? I find myself, am I finding myself imitating the language of those that I'm listening to? Do I find myself adopting the world's manners? Do I find myself arguing and angry and fault-finding because everything on the internet, folks, you better watch out. (laughs) You better watch out. Who do I sound like? Hmm. I better watch what I better, dare I say a name? Who do I sound like? Do I sound like Christ? Let me ask you another question. When you go on the media, which one of the programs you've turned on starts with prayer? Just think about it. Which one of the programs that you turn on to start with prayer and they tell you to go to church? They tell you about the passage of the day. They tell you about the Christian worldview. Which one of these programs that we turn on at times says, you know what, I need to ask the the group of people listening to me to forgive me because, you know, I have slandered somebody. I have broken the ninth commandment. I need forgiveness. I have used my tongue and called people's names. I have committed a violation of the sixth commandment. I have said some innuendo, a sexual innuendo, and I'm asking the the people who listen to my podcast to forgive me for breaking the seventh commandment. You ever hear those things? Got to be careful what I'm listening to. Well, let me give you one more thing and then we'll stop. So I want you to consider social media. I want you to consider the traditions of men. You know, these verses, verses 9 and 10 in Isaiah 6, they're quoted in the New Testament a lot. And one of the reasons they're quoted by Christ and his apostles is because the people hearing Jesus who should have understood him, they hated him the most. Christ used these verses to refer to the Pharisees and the Jews of his day. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they prided themselves on never, ever bowing down to an idol. They would never have an idol. They would never bow down to a piece of wood, but they had an idol. Do you know what it was? It was the traditions of men. It was the traditions of men. That was their idol. They taught as doctrine the precepts of men. And if you go Mark, read Mark chapter 7, it says they neglected the commandments of God. They set the commandments of God to the side in order to teach their own precepts to people. Let me give you one illustration. There's this word in Mark chapter 7 called Corbin. It's a great word. You know what it means? It means dedicated or devoted to God. And so the Pharisees and the scribes would teach the people to devote their things to God. How? Oh, I just think that's so good. That just sounds so good all by itself, doesn't it? Well, it it gets worse than that. Because see, after they lead the people to devote all their things to God... (laughs) 
Then when the when a husband comes up to the Pharisee, a man would come up to a Pharisee and say, my mom and dad over here and they need help. They need some of my things. And the Pharisees would not permit them to help their parents out who needed some of their stuff. The Pharisees wouldn't permit the people to obey the fifth commandment. They set the fifth commandment aside in order to keep their own traditions. These men, listen, these men, who should have been caring for others. These men who should have seen and felt compassion and taking care of needy mothers and fathers, they should have permitted these people under their care. They were shepherds. They should have, should have allowed them to take care of their parents. But they set the fifth commandment aside, honor thy father and thy mother. They set it aside and said, no, you've devoted your things to God. Is it any wonder that the Pharisees and the scribes were wealthy people, greedy people? And when Jesus comes on the scene, because they had set apart the commandments of God and they had taught their own precepts, this is what he said of these people. He said, God has blinded your eyes and deadened your hearts so that you can neither see with your eyes or understand with your hearts and turn and be healed. Now, here's one, one thing to conclude. Am I setting aside the word of God in order to keep a precept that I've made up my, for myself? Am I, am I keeping a tradition and setting aside a commandment? Am I sermon proof? Am I sermon proof? I'm, am I unable to hear? What, what am I staring at? What is on my mind? What am, what's keeping me uh, tender and soft towards God? Or is something causing me to be hardened? Isaiah is to preach this message and he knows that men are going to, by an act of their will, reject this word. But it's the men's will that's the problem. It's not the word that's the problem. This, is, gives, every, uh, this gives Isaiah hope in his day, and it gives every minister hope in our day, and it should give you hope in this day because it's not, it's the will of man that takes the word and uses it the wrong way, but it's the word of God that God uses to break people's hearts. And so that's why this man is told to keep on preaching. <laughs> He's told you have to keep on preaching because it is the alone gospel that God uses to bring people into the kingdom so Sometimes I say this, you know, sometimes you just, he says, go, Isaiah, go preach to the rocks because God breaks rocks. God breaks hard hearted rocks. And so you say, I pastor, I don't have any hope for my brother. I don't have any hope for my family. I don't have any hope for this person or that person. Oh, friend, listen, you just stay in there. They're still alive. If they're still alive, there's still hope. The word of God is what breaks people's hearts. And so you continue to share the gospel from the pulpit. You continue to share the gospel with your brother that you feel like will never come to Christ. You keep doing it and you let God's word do its work. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time to again be in your house to worship you. We thank you for difficult passages. Uh, and yet what they, they reveal to us. And Lord, we pray that we would be those who humble our hearts before you, that we would worship you, Lord, confessing our sin, confessing our faith in Jesus Christ, getting up and serving. And as we serve, reflecting 
a glorious Savior named Jesus with our hearts and with our words and with our actions. Lord, strengthen us to do this and may we truly reflect 